Welcome to Finding the Front, brought to you by the proudly West Australian company, Euros Hartleys. This is a podcast series where we take time out to get to know the story behind the people who front some of Western Australia's leading companies. We look back at some of the moments in their life and career that shaped the journey to being the leader they are today and provide you with some real insights into the way they think and approach things, both in business and in life. So get the volume adjusted in your car or your headphones sorted and settle in for a great story. Here is your Finding the Front host, Tim Banfield. Welcome back to Finding the Front with our special guest, Rally Finlayson. What a story it is. Let's crack on. So Northern Star's a JV partner. Yep. Fantastic. And for the first time in 128 years, the Super Pit is under Australian ownership. What a feeling. Yeah, pretty special. And special for us, but special for Kalgoorlie Boulder. So population of 32,000 people, and it meant something just about every single resident of, of Kalgoorlie. And you go back to you know, the start of the KCGM itself, you know, in the Bondi area, how amazing that was as a catalyst for or the super pit to become what it is today and then to have a, a um, one owner and then B, to have that owner being Australian for an iconic asset. Like you think about... Um, so iconic. Talking about super pit, I can actually go to, to Harvard and Boston and talk about the super pit and people know what it is more so than they know what the gold mining industry is. So it is iconic and it, it's special about it to bring it back and particularly to you know West Australian companies, you know West Australian-led companies, leaders that I mean, went to the School of Mines. Like it's Raul, a, it, the... The synergies are just amazing. The you know two WA School of Mine graduates, Bill Beaumont, Rally Finlayson, have come, and there would have been so much emotion locally. I would have thought, and people would have reached out to say congratulations. Yeah, it was, and it's um, like I said, it was special, special for the town and individuals. It was more than our ownership. It felt like you know the, the old Aussie Aussie owned element sort of really came home to roost, and particularly two companies that. Um, all of Kalgoorlie knew about and sort of followed from our infancy. And, you know, bearing in mind that Norman Star and Saracen essentially started about the same time, had similar similar paths. We both acquired assets, you know, ran them hard. So it was it was special. But also I think the most important part when we sort of looked at it from a JV perspective before we get onto the merger was complementary skill set. So Bill and his team sort of come from an underground contracting background with um, with Barminko. Our sort of genesis was with open pit mining, so we naturally worked out you know, who was going to look after each areas, and it was a really first member of the first JV meeting. We sat down and we said, "Okay, you guys will, you know, Saracen look after the geology and the pit side, and on the start look after the mill and the underground side." And literally from that moment, I remember within a month we'd said, "Okay, we're going to start mining a new cutback." basically had endorsement from the Northern Star before we'd even put a paper forward. So it just showed you how quickly we were able to move and how much. Trust was actually there from the get-go, and that's from not just Bill and I, but all of our teams knew each other so well. A lot of School of Mines graduates all went sort of grew up together, so there's an immediate trust there that most JV partners take you know months or years to to get before they can really start to work together. And was the overall effect of having that ownership? Did it just make things so much easier? I mean, you had a month there with Newmont, yeah, and did it did it just change the whole dynamic? Yeah, look, you might a very short period to form a judgment, but I remember yeah. the first time that um, Simon Jessup, COO, and I went to site. We met with a GM at the admin, sort of the the gatehouse, and that stage we weren't allowed on site, so we just bought a half of a super pit, and we had to look at it from the from the lookout like everyone else does. So, In the grandstand. Yeah, so that was a tad, uh, yeah, particularly as we spent the sort of couple of weeks prior to that trying to convince shareholders would have a big input into the business. It was a bit concerning, I must admit. I'm sure that would have improved with time, but. 
So the first visit was a bit of a worry, you know, not, not so much from what we saw with the asset, but just how much input we're going to have with it. And of course, I was actually on holiday, so we took the uh, the family over to um, have our first white Christmas. So um, we were up at, uh, just on a, on route to, to Whistler, we're actually at Disneyland, and um, got the call from Tom Palmer, the CEO of Newmont, saying, I'm about to sell the asset to... And before he said the name, I said, oh, no. <laughs> he said, how do you know? I said, I don't, but I'm guessing. And he said, oh, yeah, Norman Starr's put it in a bid. So for me, it was, um, and then Bill rang sort of 20 seconds later, and I said, look, that's fantastic. And it actually, from that point forth, I actually had a quite a relaxing holiday, knowing full well that in short time, we'll be able to get the asset. And we both had very like-minded how we are growing our companies, and I thought immediately we were just going to have that trust there, and we could get on to really make some material change. And then... That has been probably one of the proudest moments for me personally is how much change we've been able to enact. That's that case of GM, which is still happening now, but um, yes. in the first couple of months of ownership under the before the even the, the merger occurred. So that was really, and it just shows you how well a JV can actually work. When you looked at the super pit, what were the things that really attracted you to it? I remember saying to my guys, I think the first thing was there was more gold at the super pit times about three, then all of our resources across all of our portfolios spread across about 26 different mines in one location, one gold a mile. So for me, the amount of gold there is a good start. Yes. The history of gold, 30 years of, or under Casey Gem, over 100 years of mining, but in that 30 years, there's 21 million ounces of gold being mined. So it's around 700,000 ounces per annum. So just a significant asset. And look, frankly, this was a, Peculiar situation, it's always the adage, you always try and buy off majors, but we had Barrick and Newmont who, at that stage, you know, if we went for about three years, long divorce, they just weren't talking to each other, so the relationship wasn't ideal. And it was very fractured. Yeah, and Casey Jim bore the brunt of that, so 50-50 JV. Barrick sort of viewed that Newmont were using it as a bit of a training ground. It was non-core to both of them as a reality. It's less than 3% and 1% of their respective NAVs, so... It was an immaterial asset for both of those companies. So for both of them to move out and give it to two companies where it was the most material part of their portfolio meant that the, the true winner in all this was, was Casey Gem and the town of Kalgoorlie. So we immediately put the investment into those assets, into that asset, because frankly it, it warranted it relative to everything else in our portfolio. It's not undermining that, the things in our portfolio. It's just simply the scale of that system. It is a world-class asset now in um in Northern Star hundred percent so it is still the the main asset in that in the combined portfolio now. Raul just I just want to depart a little bit from gold mining for a yep. second and just come back to you as a person and um I know you've got a beautiful wife Vanessa and three great kids. Just tell us a little bit about where they entered into the equation, particularly Vanessa. Where did you meet her? Yeah, funny story here. So <laughs> talking about small degrees of separation in our world. So Vanessa's mum and dad, Gary and Sandra, touched over 50 years ago, formed a company called Penn's Cartage. So it started off as a removalist company with Gary's brother and then morphed into, at that stage, pastoralist was a far more important um, part of Kalgoorlie than, than the mining sector. So what actually happened then was um, Gary used to deliver fuel to us at, at the pastoral properties also used to cart stock move wool bales all these sorts of things so had a deep relationship in fact from when I was born Vanessa mum and dad were doing all of the transport to us on the stations and all the neighbouring stations and do milk runs and whatever else needed to happen yeah so I knew Gary from from when I was born 
remember Sandra on the on the radio more so. I didn't know, couldn't picture when I was younger, but certainly on the radio I could hear all the time. And Vanessa's got four older brothers, so all of the brothers worked heavily on the trucks, and Vanessa and um, Sandra and the in in Kalgoorlie running the business and the and the uh, corporate side. So I knew Gary and the four boys from day dot and whole way through. And I actually didn't meet Vanessa until I was about eighteen. Um, okay. In fact, I didn't even know Vanessa existed until I was 18. <laughs> and I was in a uh, one of the popular bars in Kalgoorlie and I was meeting a bunch of friends of crew that I knew in Kalgoorlie. And one of them introduced, uh, Vanessa's, one of her best friends introduced me to Vanessa and I thought, oh, Penn, it's got to be you know, some sort of relation. And I didn't, hadn't appreciated I was actually daughter of. So that's how we first were introduced and then within sort of 18 months of, as you would say, stalking her. Yeah. And I think it's the other way around, but yeah. through somewhere in the middle. Um, <laughs> finally convinced her to start going out, and that's when we um, so we sort of started dating probably 19, 19 and a half, something like that, and been together ever since. But the uh, So she's been there for the whole journey. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and, and I remember saying, you know, I was going to use in my sort of wedding speech, I didn't quite go there, but I said if I was going to be uh, marrying into the Penn family, and I was told that when I was about five, I would have been worried because all I knew about was four brothers. But, of course, <laughs> Vanessa was Along on the came Vanessa. Yeah, and um, she's been a uh, similar background to me, right? So involved in the in the cartage side of it. And it was um, tough in the pastoral game. And, you know, Gary was trying to make costs as low as possible to make it viable for them. So they did it tough for pretty well 50 years, but let's call it the first 30 years particularly. Yep. And all the family had to roll their sleeves up. So, you know, frankly, Vanessa's experience is very similar to mine, very similar grounding and work ethic. So we are very like-minded and for that reason obviously makes it work from a relationship. But also yeah. from a business perspective, we, um, you know, and even with the kids coming through, obviously they've got more advantages now than what we had. So we're very mindful of keeping them grounded because we know how well it served us. So. She's not just a, obviously a partner in life, but also in, in business and everything else we do. So um, it's been there absolutely the whole way through. She would have been a great sounding board through some of those you know, challenging moments, not yeah. only in the early days, but even you know, just what we've talked about the, in, when the big decisions had to be made. Yeah, and you know, particularly those lonely moments. It's, yeah. She's very good from a... Occasionally I'll come up with a harebrained idea, so she's a bit of a she's a very good sounding board to making sure to sort of ratify good decisions and understanding the bad ones. So she's excellent in that regard. But also those lonely moments, like I talked about buying the super pit. Probably the the lowest moment I had was when we had a fatality at one of our operations in Garrison a couple of years ago. Mm. Right, sort of the start of COVID. It was a really tough period for me, and um, you know Vanessa's support through that for me personally enabled me to be strong for my team. So. You know, I think um, the unsung heroes, but certainly Vanessa's been a rock for me the whole way through. Yeah, look, I I, I know that was a tough um, a tough situation to deal with. Yeah, for all all the obvious reasons, but yeah. particularly that Saracen was such a tight knit family. Yeah, and that was you know our first and certainly going to be our last is the plan for for over a decade. And there's yeah, a lot of our guys had been there for all of that period. And when you get when you start from a handful of people and you grow to you know three or four hundred people it does you are so close and this individual had worked across a variety of our sites wasn't one of our direct employees but certainly had worked across all of our sites and been there for a long period of time and um you know you've got a good culture when it gels everyone together there's no upside at all from losing a life but you know how everyone gelled 
how supportive you know Burncut, the company, and all the individuals have been to the family. Uh, Crystal since then has been has been amazing because there's no there is no positive to come from this, but it, it just shows you how strong knit and how strong that bond has been over that um, over that journey. Thanks for sharing that, Ral. I know it wouldn't have been easy uh, mm-hmm. at all. You and Vanessa have got these three beautiful kids. I've been lucky enough to watch Scarlet, but Maddie and Henry, yeah, um, they keep you young, I'm sure. Yeah, it's a I, again. This is another one of my harebrained ideas. So we've got Matilda, who's 15, just about going on 16. Scarlet to become a teenager next year, and then um, a, a quite a large gap. So you know, Henry will turn six. Uh, next year, so um, we had the first two, and um, I was sort of keen on the pigeon pair. Didn't quite get that sort of pressing, but Vanessa, you know, quite hard to get go back for the boy, and um, it was a flat no because it was a really bad idea. <laughs> and I got her an absolute weak moment. I can't remember exactly what it was, but um, she folded, and um, and along came Henry. So interesting having a big gap. So people look at you wondering if it's a you know separate marriage type <laughs> scenarios or whatever else. And I say to them, look. All of our kids are IVF bubs, so um, it's certainly not an accident, put it that way. No, no. And uh, but Henry's, um, yeah, he's been a, a joy to us all. He's, uh, it's one of the things the girls are a bit skeptical of the idea at the start, but he's like he's got three mothers and um, all look after him, all pander to him, so he absolutely runs the house. He, he's a little goer. Yeah, Scarlett's a kind of soul in the world, so she's an absolute gem, and Matilda's um, into everything, so you know, bright and just loves to do. Every sport you could possibly imagine, so <laughs> keep certainly Good both of us on our toes, and they are a joy of, uh, of fun. So this has all unfolded while Saracen uh, has gone through what it went through with the yeah. super pit, and then yeah. the JVs arrived. And I know ultimately the end result was that Northern Star elected to acquire Saracen. Yeah, was that an emotional decision to make in terms of that, or was it just a, a logical thing to go through? Both. Yeah. Probably in the end, slightly more emotional than logical, but the logic was definitely there. Like you see these mergers come together and it's all about, well, is there, are there genuinely synergies there? But to have the super pit under one ownership just meant that the logic of being able to take down the walls, so to speak, like KCGM has been in a, effectively like a Chinese, like a big wall around it for a hundred years. So to bring that down and to really look at the efficiency of the whole Kalgoorlie region now largely owned by Northern Star made a lot of sense. So that's the rationale and we've we've pegged quite a large synergy value out there and we're gonna comfortably exceed that from what we're saying early days. So right. that's the rationale side of it. Yes. Um the emotional side of it, you know, it's a it's a hard thing to justify to your workforce who have, you know, grown up as Saracen as part of their family and particularly those that have been there for over ten years and you know, I, I felt that and you have those moments where um where you you hope it's the right decision, but at the end of the day the logic from acting in the best interest of shareholders you know, does come home to roost, and that's how you need to always think when you're running these things. But yes. at the same time, the emotion of you know losing the Saracen brand, and I talked to a lot of my people. You know, there's lots of conjecture at the start about the name, and you know, should it be a combination of the names? And I sort of talked to it like a a great in, in a footy club, and they retire the jumper, and it's retired forever. You know, once Saracen was retired, it's retired forever. No one can ever take away the journey. Nothing that happens in the future will ever take that away from the people that, that were on the Saracen journey. So for me, it's a, it's a really good way to exit. It's a, it's a new chapter for the Saracen people and the Saracen assets moving into, into Northern Star into a fantastic 
vehicle that, in my opinion, will be the premier you know, gold miner in, in the decades to come, particularly with an asset like the Super Pit. I was digging around and I found a, a, an Australian mining article, Saracen Says Sayonara to the ASX. Mm. And it was a beautiful article. I mean, you went out on a, a massive high. Yeah. yeah. Your production was amazing. Yeah. The business itself was just humming. Yeah. And, look, you know, so we, one of the highlights and, again, one of the reasons I'm always, when I'm running the business, one of the things I often look at is a, is a downside. So, you know, Bill and I are quite different in lots of ways, but Bill's an ever optimist and, you know, he's a much more inclined to, to listen to the good news and I'm much more inclined to listen to the bad news, which is lots of ways why it just works so well together. Well, no, yeah, no, nice um, So for me, I'm always nervous around what could go wrong. And uh, so we'd gone, we just could tick through eight years of meeting or exceeding guidance in every one of those years. And the four years prior to that, we, we weren't doing that. So for me, we put a lot of, you know, delivery is a core value for us and we put a lot of effort into making sure that we set achievable targets, but then we, we absolutely did everything we could move heaven and earth to make sure we executed those those plans. So for me, we were able to exit on a high, not just on share price and those sorts of things, but absolutely on the track record and that goes down and no one can ever take that away from the team. No. So the merger really was, I mean, a significant event, not only the gold calendar, but the corporate calendar. I mean, it was a $16 billion transaction. Yeah. Frightening amount of money. It was, but it was a lot easier doing that transaction than it was spending one sixteenth of that to acquire half the super pit. <laughs> right. um, and I'm not entirely sure why, but. I think the the logic of the rationale was certainly prevailed with this one because again we're already there. Yeah. And again, you know, it, it was a merger bringing two numbers together as opposed to you know, writing out a check for one point two million dollars, and I didn't have pretty well three quarters of that in the pocket at that stage. So that was a couple of things, but also um, again coming back to the people side of it, I remember towards the last day or the last day we had in our office. It was pretty emotional for a lot of people mm. in the office. It was one of those things that we talked about, oh, what do we do? Do we go out and do something, have a big lunch? And in typical Saracen style, we, um, we ordered pizzas and we, got, you know, we didn't want to get anyone to deliver it because it was a bit more expensive. So we sent all of our people across the road to bring to them back. Them and then we got someone to bring in a ute full of you know, a couple of maybe two or three cartons or maybe times 10 or whatever the number was. <laughs> um, and we just basically had an office party. And, oh, uh, great. Just very chill, just told some stories reminiscing and that was sort of a yeah. you know, 10 till 2. And I think we finished about 2 the next morning. And it was just one of those afternoons where things got out of control and we had these soft, you know, the squishy, you know, footy ball things yeah. that you hold in your hand. And somehow we had a heap of these at the diggers that we never used up. So we had a, an all-in brawl with these squishy toys in the <laughs> office. And it was just one of those environments where uh, I'll remember it forever and that was the last day, completely unscripted. Yeah. And then everyone started break dancing and we did all sorts of random stuff. And it was just a happy a, day, a perfect way to go yeah. out. Yeah. And uh, again, that can never get taken away. So that'll be with me and most of the people in that office that day that'll take that away forever. Oh, well done. So the two companies together, $16 billion transaction creates the world's eighth biggest producer. Yeah. Second Australia's Australia. second biggest in Australia. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Australia's so, second biggest behind Newcrest. Yep. And, um, you know, obviously a, a, a significant portfolio in Western Australia and, you know, all of our mines in tier one jurisdiction. So that was always a really important attribute for both, you know, Saracen and Northern Star on the yes. journey. So 
again, lots of synergies as I spoke about, but also you know, bringing together really good complementary skill sets into the business. And, you know, we've had some, some changes since then, but I think someone like Michael Cheney coming on as, a, as our chair is a fantastic appointment, an absolute A-grader. If anyone was doubting that before, I'd suggest have a look at the, the Northern Star AGM just gone. You just see the absolute class of someone yes. like Michael Cheney come to the floor. So he's been fantastic. Stuart Tonkin now leading the company as, a, as the MD. Because you started out as the MD. Yeah, so... Yeah. And I had that sort of, when I brought it together, it was actually coming back to Super, there was, a, there was a moment where I knew continuing to run a company of that size wasn't for me. And actually what it was is when we um, brought um, the Super Pit and then sort of COVID wrapped around really quickly. So that was sort of late 2019. COVID obviously struck in early 20. Mm. What, uh, what we did as a management team at Saracen, there was an executive team, quite a small executive team. But when COVID hit, sort of all the offices shut down. So we all ask all of our teams to do longer rosters, obviously to try and reduce the amount of flying fly out and potential spreading of the of the virus. So we, as a management team, elected to actually do the rosters with the team. So rather than just be sitting in the office doing Zoom calls, we all went out on the same rosters as the workforce and did the extended rosters. We thought it was a good leadership, but also what a unique opportunity where you can actually go out and spend two weeks solid on a mine site, which you inevitably never get yes. in a normal business. So. We did multiple stints. I went out to all the mines. We all rotated through. So there's always one of us in each one of our mines at all times, which is a really strong and powerful message to the workforce, asking them to, to roll up the sleeves and do the longer rosters. But also, particularly when I went to the Super Pit, I did some stints there. It was very early early on after the after the um, JV, Northern Star Northern taking over Newmont and got to go back to the roots. I was doing mine designs and looking at schedules and ways of optimising it. And we got our costs from... Six dollars a ton down to three dollars a ton within three months. Halved it, and it was just phenomenal the reaction from the team that had been sort of not able to really hit their straps. So we just took all down all the barriers and let them let them actually open up. And for me, I enjoyed that immensely. You know, lots of things negative about COVID, but for me, that was a really unique experience. So that was the sort of the moment I realised I'd much rather be rolling the sleeves up, getting into mine design schedules. Than it was as a company gets bigger, all of a sudden your job changes a lot. And yes. for me, that's what I knew that really going down the curve again was going to be my natural next step as opposed to having to deal with a bunch of other things which yeah, evolves as a company gets bigger. You're almost empowering your staff when you're on there, yeah. saying, look, you know, you've got license to, to think yeah. and, and do what you think is appropriate at the time. Yeah. I remember my first week at Case of GM, there was a Chap there, mining engineer, Hamindra, uh, and I said to him, got all this fleet parked up. So when they had the wall slip in 18th of May 2018, quite a significant wall slip, which was very public in case of German super pit, and um, all the gear was parked up as a result of it whilst they worked out a plan of what they were going to do next. And it was still parked up when we got there in 2020. And uh, for me, it was like, well, we've got to make a decision here. We're parking up all the gear. All the people are still hired, essentially not being utilised properly. So yes. We came in and said, here's a miner's iron, let's just start remaining on this wall, let's just bite the bullet and get on with it. And I put the challenge out to Mendra and his team and said, okay, by the end of the month, I want to see, I think it was March, I want to see the digger up there starting to move that dirt. And he had, he had a digger up there by the end of the week. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was sort of, I was half joking, but I looked at him and said, well, we realise I've got no approval from my board or the Northern Star board for this, but <laughs> credit where it's due, I gave you a challenge and you, and you took it. 
He accepted. So we so we kept mining, and that's what we're doing at the moment. And oh, then we've wow. changed out the fleet and everything else. So just again, it shows you giving the guys a mandate to to do things as opposed to yeah. barriers to to not do things is um is all it took. So fast forward, Raoul, you you sort of have moved out of Northern Star. You're, you're still involved. Yep. You've got a. a you dad does say you've got an executive yep. director's role. But where do you sit now in the Northern Star? Yeah, sure. So, handballed the MD reins over to Stu and, yeah. and, and was involved in executive director phase for about three months. And then I was going to immediately transition to NED role. And coming back to Michael Cheney, his advice, having been on the Harvard course a couple of decades prior, was actually to immerse yourself into Harvard and don't have any other distractions. So, his yes. advice was step off the board finish the course and then come back and jump back on the board. And um, it was really good advice and I'd give that to anyone. If you're going to commit to doing these courses, you can do them being busy. And there are some people on the Harvard course at the moment who are trying to run their day job as well as doing this and you just don't get to immerse yourself. So stepped off and I'll come back in, in April 4th and um, come back on the board as a non-exec director. And that's primarily to, like I said, a lot of my Saracen people are within that business. The assets are still there. So obviously got good familiarisation with the, with the assets and the company, but also the people. And I'm, I'm a massive advocate of, of Stu Tonkin. I want to see him and the company do really well. So whatever role or support I can provide to, to Stu and Michael, that's, that's what I'll be coming back for. Okay. So part of that, though, part of that transition is also we've got Harvard, but then you've got a new role yeah. that's coming up. Yeah. Um, and that's with Genesis. Yeah, so Genesis Minerals. And, um, uh, again, sort of degrees of separation. So... Uh, I opened the conversation about talking about where Genesis Asset was located right on the boundary where my uh, my grandfather and my father and see uncles and aunties all grew up and then neighbouring onto the property where I grew up. So steep with history from a nostalgic point of view, but also pretty significant belt in the Goldfields region, northern Goldfields region, up around sort of Leonora going right up through to Linster and Laverton. So for my mind, the rationale behind it was... Um, uh, some significant exploration upside there, and Michael Fowler, who's been running this you know, company for the last decade, has done a phenomenal job growing the resource base from nothing to 1.6 million ounces as it stands at the moment. So, lots more upside there with the drill bit. So that's the first thing that fascinating me. Reminds me very similar of the Carissa Dam when I first got involved there in 2010. So yes. simply putting money into the ground is going to yield some really good return there. Development ready asset. So for me. It's ready to turn onto mine if we want to at some juncture after we've grown it to a certain stage that we're comfortable to pull the trigger on that. But also strategically located, there is, you know, what's interesting about that area, if I put a dot on the map of Leonora and draw a sort of 100-kilometre arc around Leonora, when we bought the Thunderbox operation in 2014, there was one mill in Leonora at Gualeb operating at right. uh, 1.3 million tonnes per annum. This time next year, there'll be over 15 million tonnes of capacity. So it's gone from 1 million tonnes to 15 million tonnes of capacity. So huge. the area has ramped up a lot. And these resources are getting depleted reasonably quickly. So for us at Genesis, plans to grow the resources and try and buck that trend. So that's the rationale on the wine. And probably the other thing on, on gold, I remember jumping into gold and there was a bunch of shareholders and onlookers, surprise, I went into gold and not into sort of the battery thematic. And yes. for me... Coming back to your question around Guido Steltari, what he taught me is having that contrarian view. It's 
very difficult to swim against the tide, but often quite rewarding. So trying to not sort of follow the herd, whichever the direction the herd's going, and actually trying to buck that trend. So for me, knew gold really well, knew the landscape really well, but it was made easier by the fact that no one was talking about it. In fact, when they were talking about it, they're saying unkind things. So I've got a funny feeling that gold's had a history over 100 years of surprising people. Um, whether it's good and going bad or bad than going good, uh, for my mind, um, you know, gold's in an interesting space. And if it hibernates for a couple of years, even better, because we'll just steadily go away and build our resource base. But at some point, it'll have a run again. Bearing in mind, it's still a pretty handy price at you know, close to 2500 Aussie at the moment. Yes. So can't complain too much. No. But just, the sentiment is actually against it, which is what I quite like. So if you're a, uh, an optimist, do you, where do you see gold at some point? Now, that's a, that's a tough question, but where do you see it? It's a really easy question, Tim, because I'm not an optimist. <laughs> like I said that at the start. <laughs> yeah, so okay. I think gold price is going to go down. And I always say that, and I always think that, and I just I try not to think about the alternative because, frankly, if you think about the alternative and you run your business on the basis that your commodity is going up, I think it's a really poor way to run your business. I'm always running the business on the basis I think it's going to go down. Yes. So plan for the worst and hope for the best. So that's my motto and I'll never waver from that. So plenty of reasons and justifications why people think gold prices go up and down. Frankly, I'm just going to assume it's go down and run a business as, as hard as best we can. Ralph, you're now in, um, doing the course in the US. Just out of interest, how are you finding the US? What are you seeing over there at the moment? Yeah, it feels like a different world. Um, obviously, you know, Western Australia feels like a different world to the west of Australia yeah. as well, mind you. But um, so for me, the journey started in, in Perth, flew over to Alaska to start with and actually spent a week at the Pogo Operations, which was great. So we actually did a merger and I hadn't actually got to be able to go over and see the asset, which in normal course would be one of the prerequisites of doing that, but of course with COVID restrictions. So yes, it was great to get over there. Um, Jim Coxon's a, a friend of mine from right back in the early Kalgoorlie days. He's a GM over there doing a fantastic job. And the guys have had some absolute challenges with COVID and other things, but a testament to what they've been able to achieve over there. It's actually phenomenal. It is a remarkable place of the world and also a remarkable mind. So I'd spend a week there and then... Um, and up to Boston, and um, it feels, besides sort of compulsory masks indoors, it feels like um, a different world, like the US is, and similar to most parts of the world, are sort of living with COVID, and um, it's, uh, you know, completely different to what we're experiencing here in Western Australia, so it was um, quite a shock, but also a shock back to what I remember the rest of the world being like. Yes. With the uh, lectures and that sort of thing that you're sitting in with Harvard, you mentioned earlier they're wearing face masks. Yeah, so an unusual, a new precedent for the professors over there. So they're obviously used to um, you know teaching where they're not wearing masks and relying a lot on body language to making sure they yeah absolutely they're sort of you're understanding what they're saying and um, being able to convey that way. So that's that's obviously missing. So it's that that's one of the downsides. But I must admit, as I said, being there in person as opposed to the last couple of years where they've been teaching the course online is um, it's a remarkable difference and obviously a big chunk of why you know these Harvard type courses are so valuable is around the networking so there's 146 people from just about every map every dot on the map on the globe uh, represented there so the network elements are amazing phenomenal speaking. people that frankly have had no idea about gold mining or Australia, frankly, so I deliberately chose a furthest point away from Perth 
as I could. That happened to be Boston. It also happened to be the, in my opinion, the number one university in the world from a business school perspective in Harvard. So it's been good to get out of the, the bubble. And I have, you know, as part of all the background I've talked to you about, I have been in a little bubble around the gold fields in Perth my entire life. So it has been a good opportunity to step outside of that and look at the world from a completely different perspective. And so you're going to have now a network you can fall back on to bounce things around with and yeah. particularly when you look at what Northern Star is, it's a, a global player. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I also think for other chapters in my life, so my entire life's been in gold and nickel mining and if I look at gold particularly, we've got one customer in the Perth Mint where a lot of what I've been learning at Harvard at some phases feels like it's completely related to nothing I'll ever use, talking about marketing and customers and those sorts of things. But it's amazing when you dissect it, how relevant it is to everything you do in life. But also, who knows what the future holds at some point in the future in a different sphere. And I'm sure, I often say to people, yeah, you sort of forget the moment, the exact moment you learned something. And I'm sure there's all these tools and learnings of things that right now feels like I'm not sure when I'm ever going to use them, but I'm sure in 10, 20 years' time or even shorter, I'm looking back going, oh, wow, this is something I'm applying now, which I've learned from my, my time at Harvard. Absolutely. Just on education, would you say, look, mining is a great opportunity at the moment? Absolutely. And I think, um, again, coming back to the why, I, I sort of have such a passion for this. It's around sort of bringing the next generation through. And part of my role with the West Australian School of Mines as the as president of the alumni was one of the things that Saracen started and Northern Stars continued is running these mining camps. So we'd Bunch, grab a bunch of first-year students at universities doing, say, a broad engineering course and run them into to Kalgoorlie and show them the super pit and show them the accommodation and show them the college and then show them a whole bunch of mines and give them an exposure because I think mining sort of cops a bit of flack from, a, from an ESG perspective at the moment and some of it's warranted. But if I look at when I started my career, I think some of the practices of mining were pretty terrible and now how mining's evolved there's so much more focus on ESG and the environment. I think, I think we're 10 times better, and yet our focus is 10 times more critical. So yeah. in actual fact, I think it needs opportunities for students to come and actually see it firsthand. So that's been something that I was really proud of launching with BHP, and we had sort of 70 people on our first camp, and that's remained strong ever since. And the uptake of people that attend that camp and enrol in the School of Mines is phenomenal. So I just encourage people to get out and have a look. And in fact, to that point, Matilda, my oldest, Actually, just spent a week at at the Super Pit, of all places, um, oh. as part of her work experience for Year Ten at St Hilda's. So she got to go underground and spend some time with the geotechs and talk to the geos and look around all the different drill and blast crew. And she come back loving it and absolutely convinced that's a that's a career for her now. So again, I think it's just um, it's getting exposure to it. Just go and, and have a look, yeah. go check it out. And um, I know Northern Star for one's more than happy and. Anyone that's sort of keen to send their themselves or their kids to go along and get some exposure, just reach out because it's a it's a really easy thing to do, and again, it's really rewarding for the people that are showing these budding students around because they actually can see them light up and actually get an appreciation for what we actually do and why we do it. Yeah, it's a, I mean, I think mining in Perth has got such opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really it's a centre of excellence. Yeah, and I think hats off. I talked about St Hilda's and. They're sort of launching an esteem program, really focusing on, on the sciences and, and particularly doing that for, a, for an all-girls school. I think it's a really good opportunity and something that, frankly, should have been done a lot sooner. So I think the more that the schools can do to, to demonstrate these opportunities, not just in mining, but all the sciences, is, should be taken you know, as, as an absolute priority because um, 
Now we are in the heart of the of the mining sector and the resources sector here in Western Australia, so we need to be doing all that we can to make sure our young ones at least get an opportunity to see what it's all about. Ralph, just furthering that, when you look at the gold mining sector and the mining sector across the board, you get a feel that we are ahead of the game or, you know, just tell us a little bit about, you know, what it means to be, I mean, you're in the heart of it. Yeah, and, so. And, and, the, and the people and the, yeah. and the experiences you get. And there is a real camaraderie yeah. within the sector. Yeah, there is. And I, I think talking about being in the heart of it, again, coming back to the, having just come back from Pogo Operations in Alaska, Jim Cox and I mentioned earlier, so he's essentially spent the last 20 years in Kalgoorlie and he said one thing he didn't fully appreciate it going from Kalgoorlie to Fairbanks was you can't drive down the main street of Fairbanks and see all these mining-related services there, so whether it be contractors, suppliers, parts, whatever, um, all of a sudden if you don't have something, it could be weeks or months before you get that to site. So he said, look, you don't sort of fully appreciate how much you have until you move. And I think, um, you know, Kalgoorlie being the epicentre of the resources sector, we are absolutely blessed. Part of my thesis I'm doing for Harvard is sort of talking to a bunch of stakeholders around, um, you know, what does good look like for Genesis and the sector and whatever else. And I remember a particular fund manager said, just don't be, um, don't underestimate how good you've got it in Western Australia and how difficult it is for companies to branch out of that and sort of take for granted what they have in their own backyard. So for me, that's been one thing that's sort of come home to roost. So we are absolutely blessed from that regard. And as far as the camaraderie goes, I mean, that's sort of, again, it's such a small industry. And I remember when I started out at Saracen, I'd have a look at the quarterly reports of my peers, hoping ill on my peers, going, well, we want to be better than them, and you sort of want to outperform them. Competition. And, and naturally, you do that. And Gledo said to, to me, he said, look, do that in jest, but at the end of the day, we, when the sector does really well, we're such a small sector, if we're actually all doing well, we'll attract a lot more money, but if we have a couple that aren't doing well, they'll leave in droves. So I, I learned that pretty quickly. So for me, where we can help out, we try and help each other out, because at the end of the day, a, a strong sector, particularly in the gold space. And we saw that. We went for a phase there where you know, North Americans were viewed as a lot better management than the Aussies, and then we went for a phase where we're ahead. North Americans are back on top again, so we just try and do things as a as a team because if we can do it as a team, we're we're all going to be better off. Raoul, are you reading any books at the moment? I know you are an avid reader. <laughs> I got forty eight percent for my tea English <laughs> at uh, things so at uh, in in year twelve, so I'm, I wouldn't be the poster child for <laughs> the books. I probably read I don't know. I was going to say. Pretty hard. I've probably read six books in my life. I'm, I'm now up to about 12 because I've been... Well, I was thinking you're doing a fair bit of travelling at the moment. Yeah. So I, what, um, what have you been sort of on the TV? No, nah, so I've actually been... Um, the, the, there's lots of positive about Harvard, but one thing that I reckon is probably, probably the number one or maybe number two after the networking positive with Harvard is around the case study learning. So it's not your traditional lecturer standing up in front of a chalkboard and projector or whatever and running through slides and material it's about case studies so doing one on Rio Tinto at the moment or you'll do ones on Coca-Cola or you know Google or Fitbit or you can name it there's basically a case study on everything and what that's been the learning method of Harvard for over 100 years so basically what the theory is that you'll be doing cases on companies that are either really successful or complete disasters anytime the last sort of 100 years most cases are sort of less than a decade old and it's a really powerful way of learning because when you're going through it, you're sort of trying to 
understand what happened and the decisions being made, both good and bad, but also how to apply that to your new business. So that's a phenomenal way of, of learning in my mind and, and really powerful. So to answer your question, I have to read. So basically when I'm at on, on campus, it's three cases we go through a day. Right. And each of those are between 30 and 70 pages. So um, there's a fair bit of data to get through. So for me, it's been heavy on that. So I'm doing things from strategy to macroeconomics to marketing to, you know, you name it, negotiation, M&A. It's all really interesting stuff. And you, sometimes you come into this thing thinking you know it until you come out and you realise there's other ways of doing things and other industries that have, uh, that have done it. And I think about how much IP has been generated in Harvard. So these professors are the best of the best, mainly because they're either doing this or they're doing MBAs where they actually have to grade people and it's sort of a lot longer courses. So they all yes. flood, flood to this because this is all C-suite people. So they're learning as much. So we did a case study on Coca-Cola and they're, you know, two of the three highest execs in Coca-Cola are actually in the class. <laughs> so they're talking about the case and going, oh, that didn't really happen. On this day, this is what happened. So it's actually really powerful for everyone. So lots of reading on Harvard at the moment. What an experience. So Raul, let's just go quickly back to Genesis. Going forward, yeah. you know, you're pretty excited, I can tell. Yeah. What an opportunity, commercially, yeah. but also getting back into your roots. Yeah. What's the plan? Yeah, so the unveiling of all that will come, so I can't tell you all, all the yep, secrets. Sure. Good news about my second stint at Harvard, it will be ending on the 26th of February and the 27th of February is the start of the BMO conference, which is a significant mining and metals conference in, in North America. So... We'll sort of unveil a few of the sort of the strategic plans, if you like, from that point forth. But it has been a remarkable sort of three-month period that I'm in at the moment where I can gather heaps of data. I talked about my thesis and talk to lots of people, really get it under the bonnet of our business so that I can sort of launch on day one with the advantage of sort of having three months prior to that where... Of preparation. Yeah. So, you know, Michael Fowler's still running the business day to day, but I get to sit with him, just come from his office, really understanding about what's happening in our business, what's happening in the neighbourhood. So sort of gathering all that information at the moment, we'll do our strategic plan in late January and then sort of put it out to the market in early, in early March. But it's fair to say, you know, drilling is going to be a key component. That's been highly successful for Saracen, been highly successful for Genesis, so we see no reason to, to stop that. We'll be starting to apply the skill sets that I've learned at Saracen over the last 10 years about different ways to skin the cat as far as development plans to have a look at. And obviously the third third arm is a strategically interesting area, continuing to understand what's happening in the, in the neighbourhood for opportunities in that space. So the primary reason why Genesis was chosen after I scanned probably over 100 different companies was around the optionality. And I've seen there's so many different paths we can follow, in fact, some in parallel that we can explore as we, as we move forward. So really good platform and it's really in lots of ways Saracen Mark too but we don't want to make it that cliche we wanted to really take the the last sort of seven or eight years of Saracen which was a massive success and the all the learnings from that some of the the harder times understanding what got us out of those situations compile that into the into the new recipe for, for Genesis. Raul I've just from my observations of you over the years, but just talking to people around the place, and I listen to you now talking about Genesis. You know, the question I have to myself is, why would you back Rally Finlayson going forward? I just was, I was writing these notes down. I thought a good local bloke with huge knowledge, driven, immensely experienced, 
successful, values a dollar, saves a dollar, knows how to save a dollar, understands gold, tight, approachable. People listen to him. Loves building things and he loves a challenge. I think that sort of wraps you up a bit. You know, I I like it. You've got such a great story, but that's only part of it, your family and what you're looking to achieve with Genesis. I can tell you just by listening to you and watching you explain it to me, just you've really got something in mind and I know you'll be successful, but if you're not, it won't be through lack of trying. (laughs) Well, as I said, growing up, Bailey wasn't an option, so you just keep finding (laughs) other ways to make it work. But very flattering, Tim. Thanks for that. I, I didn't even write that for you. So that no, was no, no, work, no. So. You didn't write it for me. I've just jotted them down. But uh, um, very good. We really do appreciate your time, mate. You know, and all the best of luck with Harvard. All the best of luck with Genesis. And can't wait to have the Rally Finlayson interview Mark Two at some stage down the track. Looking forward to it. And thanks very much for your time as well, Tim. Thank you very much. Good on you, Ralph. Thanks again. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding the Front, brought to you by the proudly West Australian wealth management and diversified financial services company, Euros Hartleys. If you like what you heard, please don't hesitate to tell your friends and subscribe to the podcast through your podcast host of choice. If you have any questions or would like to contact us, please email our fabulous producer, Bridget, on communications at euroshartleys.com or visit our website at www.euroshartleys.com. This podcast has been general information only. Euros Hartleys holds Australian Financial Services Licence 230052.